The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi, kind of. Yeah, no Rossi this week. No Rossi. He gave me the week off last time, so I uh, thought it was only fair. I'm pretty sure he might still be recovering from his outrageously... <laughs> do- I, I, I told him afterwards he had to have one drink for every second he finished ahead of second place. <laughs> and so that's why he's not here. So he's definitely, yeah, he's definitely in a ditch somewhere. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, maybe he's he's hooked up to an IV, feeling better. But, yeah, 20, uh, 25 drinks. Some, something like that. <laughs> something like did, that. Did, did you guys just, did everybody get together in driver's meeting and like, hey, let's not try this weekend yes let's say you know alex has got a lot of second places yes <laughs> he's been he's had a lot of rough luck you know just taking away some good results and so uh we're like well i'm just gonna tone it back basically we only put five gears in the car <laughs> oh it looked like it yeah no i know i was there uh really wanted to pull six a bunch of times i really wanted to pull it but i'm like no we promised alex we wouldn't do it so uh you no. actually you had a really good race we had a good really good run going yeah we didn't we didn't seal the deal the way we were hoping um but yeah we ran kind of fourth place uh up from ninth on the grid uh kind of lockstep with with joseph and will there just kind of in in contention for a potential podium and certainly a top five and then that last stint uh got got into a bit of a road america racy situation with a couple guys and yeah. ended up losing a couple spots but well, you, uh, you had some of that in the beginning too with sato right that's true yeah i mean we like i said we started ninth and uh, made up a couple spots on the start and first couple laps got guys um got some guys in the pits we actually number five crew won the firestone fast yeah. award hey congrats thank you congrats to the boys that was awesome so yeah we put ourselves in a good position had yeah had a little wheel to wheel with sato there and uh, a couple other guys throughout the race but uh that's what's fun about road america man is like it, we, I was super bummed to lose a top five, you know, at the end there. But at the same time, I had so much fun. Like, that track is so good. The racing is so good. The fans are awesome. Yeah. I actually went out on my scooter on the Friday and Saturday night into the campgrounds because... You didn't want to say hi? No. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted... Where were you? I was like, when you walk out of the bus lot, yeah. the immediate left, I was that first tent. I drove by you like hill. 10 times and yeah. you never said anything. So I didn't see you. Well, I didn't see you. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Uh, but I wanted to go out and I wanted to, I wanted to get some authentic cheese curds from a Wisconsinite at the racetrack. And I went to probably 10 different campsites and none of them had cheese curds. You let us down, Wisconsin. You really did. I think it's a lie. I don't think you guys actually like cheese curds. We're not, we're not mad. We're disappointed. (laughs) That's that's just the worst. But yeah, I mean, there was even a guy that worked for Sargento. And couldn't... Uh, well, he doesn't bring his work home with him. I guess, you know? <laughs> I guess, I guess that's true. But it's, I, I just I called him out. I'm like, you guys are lying. You're not actually fans of cheese curds. Wisconsin's known for cheese and beer and brats. They had brats. They had beer. They didn't have cheese. So we, we had that cookout at Marco's bus. Yep. And, uh, the um, one that Marco texted me and said, hey, man, cooking out at the bus on Thursday. You want to come? Yeah, man, that's great. Thanks. He goes, cool. Can you bring your grill and cook some stuff for me? 
<laughs> yeah, I, sure. You cooked half, I cooked half. Yeah. I got this, I got a similar text. He's like, dude, do you want to come out to Wisconsin? Oh, that sounds great. Cool. Can you cook 25 burgers? <laughs> Make and cook 25 burgers. <laughs> but I went, we were at the store getting the meat and everything beforehand, and I, I like asked the woman at the counter, because I was looking at the cheese, and they had all the different selections. I was like, do you guys just have like slices of American cheese? And she just shook her head and goes, wrong state. <laughs> <laughs> they take it a little too seriously. Yeah, there. Right. Although I did learn a few years ago from a friend of mine who's a, who's a local that when you're eating cheese curds, the squeakier the curd, the, the fresher. Okay. So if it's not so like, which seemed to me really counterintuitive because squeaky cheese almost feels like it's fake. I, I don't want to like, describe any any of my food as squeaky. Right? Yeah. It seems like a weird <laughs> thing to want. That's that. That's what you're aiming for is the squeakier the better. We, we sat at a restaurant and he looked over at the waitress who he knows. He goes, how squeaky is your cheese today? I'm like, that's not a sentence I ever thought I'd hear a grown man say. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does sound like a euphemism, though. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so that part, I was disappointed. But in general, uh, Left Road America, thrilled as always because that's just such a great place to go racing. Fun race. Fun weekend. Fun weekend. You, you kind of, I mean, yeah, you had a little bit of bad luck on the last stint, but it feels like you got over the hump of the bad luck that you yeah, guys Yeah, I mean, had. The, the pace was there. Like I said, the crew guys were all, were the best, literally, uh, on the day, which is great. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, it's, you know, Marcus made decent progress from where he started. I mean, with no yellows, yeah, it, you know, it's tough to make up a lot of room when you're starting further back. And the other thing about it, man, is the lap at Road America is so long. That yeah. your pit windows are non-existent. It's, it's like a one-lap window. Yeah, it's so, uh, yeah, thirteen laps. Uh, like uh, 14, 14, 15 on a on a full tank, um, and so you just you're kind of handcuffed to being either on the first lap or the second lap of every window. There's not a lot of stratic fuel strategy necessarily. A uh, bit of tire strategy. The reds were not what we thought they were going to be this year after last year, and yeah. some guys learned that the hard way. Um, but no, it was it was a great race. It was a great race. Well. Well, congrats. Now you got a break. Now we got a bit of a break. Lots of wedding planning going on. That's coming up. So I, I didn't realize because I hadn't got my invite yet. So you guys are still doing the you guys are doing that wedding? Uh sorry, I meant plenty of friends' wedding. Oh okay. a friend of ours is getting yeah. married. Okay, that, so, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Uh, and I say we, Becky's literally doing all the work and she's an absolute superstar because it's like we don't have a planner and she's just kind of doing everything and she's been an absolute legend. Um so yeah, so that's kind of how we're spending our time off. And then Toronto's obviously the next race. And so yeah. I've got to head up there early, got a lot of events, a lot of uh, press stuff, sponsor stuff, whatever. And that's always a busy week for me. Well, so we talked today with your brother. Yes, we did. Uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear it. We got, we got into the weeds a bit because, you know, with everything going on with F1s and rule officiating and things like that, uh, it's a really interesting conversation. It is. So, yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll learn a bit about my brother uh, and his background if you don't uh, know already, uh, but it's a, it's a great conversation. I think the first of a couple we're going to have with him on just the, the philosophical side of the sport and kind of breaking it down a little bit. So we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Chris, and we will get to that right after this. now a word from our sponsor. Alex and I are both happy to have made Indianapolis our home, which is why we're thrilled to support a product made right here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Not only is Barkeep's Friend an incredible product, it's also chlorine-free, VOC-free, and made with recycled materials. Plus... 
plus, there's more guys, with their micro-scrubbing particles, Barkeeper's Friend won't damage what you're cleaning. So when you're done, your tools are really good as new. So as someone who's a bit of a neat freak. A bit? Fair. As someone who's an obsessive neat freak even, <clears throat> I swear by the stuff, I use it almost every room of the house, whether it's the kitchen or the gym. Why would you have to clean your gym? You never use it. Uh, don't forget... Don't forget the garage. This might not come as a surprise to you all, but Alex and I are kind of into cars, and we know you need the best tools to keep your cars, or in some cases, go-karts, working their best. And nothing does a job better at keeping those tools clean than Barkeeper's Friend. Absolutely. Barkeeper's Friend, once tried, always And welcome back to Off Track with Hinch and Hinch. Yeah, we got two hinches today. We got two hinches today. As we as we mentioned earlier, Alex is unavailable. And so uh, to help move things along in hopefully a fun direction, we have brought in my older brother, Chris, who the, is also a hinch. The original hinch. Well, I mean, that's up for debate. Is it? Uh, <laughs> well, what is your argument? Well... Uh, my argument is uh, I've been called Hinch longer than you have, uh, and I'm still called Hinch by some people to this day. I was called Hinch in high school, and my partner at the karate school um, that I teach at, uh, his, uh, he and his family, they still call me Hinch. So I have, a, I have a longer history, I think. You may have more people, but I have more history with that uh, particular moniker. Okay, yes, that's a good argument. I don't actually have much of a much I mean, of a rebuttal for that. I mean, you could claim, you know, possessions, nine-tenths, or whatever, however that works. Let's put it this way. Do you have Hinch in any way trademarked? Because <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So are you, you going to have a slap me with some kind of uh, lawsuit? Yeah. If, uh, Every time your, uh, your, your partner, your business partner's kids call you that, I get a five-cent royalty. This is, this is less of a podcast and more of an audio cease and desist letter. Yeah. <laughs> now I understand. You gave me no time to prepare. No. Yeah. It's all about the blind side. It's all about the blind side. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us today. Um, and so for those of you that don't know, I'm sure a lot of the off-track listeners do know uh, a little bit about my older brother. Um, but uh, Chris is a, uh, P he's a PhD holder. He's a PhD in, in philosophy of law from Oxford University, no less. Heard of it. <clears throat> Cambridge wasn't uh, good enough, apparently. He had to go to Oxford. <laughs> is, that, is that a school? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Don't I don't want to get you started on your Ox <laughs> Oxford Cambridge uh, uh, rivalry. Um, but yes, so the other day, uh, Chris and I were talking motorsports. Which really, yeah, yeah. Uh, so on top of being a PhD, he's also an author and has written uh, a few YA novels uh, called Ch the Chasing Checkers series, which you can get on Amazon, Chris. You can get them on Amazon, yeah. Uh, other places as well. If you want the ebook, you have to go to Amazon. But uh, Barnes and Noble and Chapters Indigo, those places have it too. There you go. You can also get it. I should also plug IMS, the uh, uh, the official merchandise store at the track sells it, uh, and so does Toronto Motorsports. And they also, yeah, definitely. And they also sell it at the IMS store at the airport. I saw that there yesterday. So yeah, you know, life goals accomplished. The, uh... Yeah, <laughs> getting a book in an airport uh, bookstore right hey. there. <laughs> That's where I find like 90% of the books that I read is at Airbnb. I know. Um, so yes, so uh, so he, he, has a, he has a knowledge of motorsports, certainly, 
And uh, and you and I, Chris, we got into a little bit of a philosophical debate about something that happened in a Formula One race the other week. And I thought it was quite fascinating. And so I wanted to uh, I wanted to have you on and talk about that, but also about just other topics that are kind of more the philosophical side of motorsports and what we do and some of the weird questions that come up. Because guys, why do we turn left? Why not? <laughs> I I often say about my brother that he's so good at um, I won't say arguing but debating that you can pick a topic. <laughs> uh, he just likes arguing, but he's very good at debating. And you can you can pick a divisive topic and you can say what your side of the argument is. And Chris will argue the other side so successfully that you will switch opinions by the end of the discussion, even though that's not actually what he believes. Yeah. He's, he, he's <laughs> on your side originally, but he's just, he's so good at seeing different things from different perspectives. He's a master debater. He's a master debater. <laughs> and he's also, never mind. <laughs> you give a language warning before this starts. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, thirteen-year-old. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you on that, James. Actually, I. Uh, no, of course you are. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, Chris. You're right. You're not, you don't do that ever. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. Um, so, so the topic that came up that you and I were discussing was the the penalty that Sebastian Vettel was uh, given at the Montreal Grand Prix, the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal, uh, that effectively handed the win to Lewis Hamilton. It robbed him of the win and gave it to Lewis. And you had an interesting question. You kind of brought the topic up about, and you were asking me whether I thought it was a fair penalty or not. Um, because, because how, I mean, how did you see it originally? Well, I mean, it was, you know, if, if, if you have any, anyone, uh, motorsports related on your social media, it was impossible to avoid. Um, after after and I and I don't I mean to be honest I don't follow Formula One all that closely, um, and so it was really interesting to see uh, a really active debate uh, sort of springing up um, a genuine controversy that didn't involve talking about I don't know tire compounds or something like something something genuinely interesting kind of happened in a way. That doesn't um, happen a lot in races. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in, in Formula One, I'm probably not the only person who thinks that it's not always the it's, most interesting thing. It's for, the um, world's most expensive parade. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. There you go. I don't know. Macy's is pretty expensive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had a, I mean, I had a lot of questions about this, partly because I, I mean, I don't get stuck into the rules of these things. Obviously, if, it ha if things like this happen in IndyCar, you know, I'll notice and, and I'll think about it. But. Um, just seeing all the different sides and the fan reactions and the, the different, I mean, just the questions that it rose for me, um, made me obviously reach out to the first person, uh, that I always reach out to on racing related questions, which was you, uh, <laughs> which was Alex, but Alex was busy. So then he called me. <laughs> second. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I have them on speed dial for, for that. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I mean, I don't even know where, I mean, where you want to start. I mean, I think the first thing that I wanted to know was whether or not, you thought as a driver, the stewards made the like formal by the book, correct call, right? right? Like it seems to me you, you got to start there, right? right. Was, did, did the incident match what the rule says? Right. And this is kind of where the debate started. And this was brought up by a few of the drivers that to the word, to the letter of the rule, I think the stewards did what they had to do. Uh, and so a lot of people were arguing that the rule is just written poorly. 
And my position was that to the letter of the rule, yes, if a car goes off track as it reenters the track, if it, you know, uh, hinders the progress of another car and that car has to make an adjustment, et cetera, et cetera, that's considered a dangerous reentry, whatever. Uh, I get that that's the wording. But the conversation we got into was what the spirit or the intention of the rule really was. And right. the intention of a rule like that is if a guy goes off and is in control of his car, let's say he's in a runoff and spins around, or he goes off into you know one of the many paved runoffs that Formula One has and needs to reenter the track fully in control, you can't just drive in front of another car. Uh, you can't do it in a dangerous way. You can't put anything or anyone at risk. And I think... I think that's where it got sideways for me was that was not exactly the situation that we were dealing with. Sebastian went off a grassy area. He was just trying to keep his car off the wall. He was not trying to impede. <clears throat> and I know, and I know it's the, the, you know, the, the rules not necessarily written about your intention. It's just whether or not you did it. Um, but I still just thought there was no way for him to enter any other way. And so penalizing him for that seemed against the intention or the spirit of the rule. So, I mean, before, I mean, before, so, I mean, that's obviously the, uh, a, a big part of the, the, uh, what's interesting about the question is, is, is the spirit question, but just, uh, you say he had no option. Could he have just slowed down? Could he have just tap the brakes and let Lewis pass and, and, and then, and then kept going? No, I, I don't think so. Because if you know, if you watch the video, he, he crosses the grass. And when you cross grass, you obviously have no grip, you have very little control of your car. And he his car sort of stepped sideways. And he was doing every and there was a wall right on the exit of the racetrack. So he had whatever the width of that track is 20 something feet, probably 30 feet um, to 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 stop his car from hitting the wall. He would not have had you know, the wherewithal at that point, but probably also not the opportunity and, and chance to control the car enough to be like, okay, I'm re-entering the track. I should slow down and let Lewis by or make sure I'm not in his way. He wasn't thinking about who was behind him. He was just thinking about not ending up pancaked against the, you know, turn four wall. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take your word for that. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm amazed at the kinds of decisions that you guys are able to make. So it's not obvious to me you know, as a, as a fairly lay, uh, viewer, um, that, that he couldn't have made a different decision. Um, I think, but anyway, I think but it's less about the decision though. I don't think he had a choice. He had a chance to make a decision. I think he was just reacting to not crashing the car. He it's, it's not that he didn't have time to process it. Cause you're right. We, we, we make those kind of decisions all the time. His decision was crash the car or don't crash the car. Right. Okay. Fair enough. So, so yeah, yeah, I think we should put this, so let's put the, uh, the intentions aside. So the question is, uh, even if the, even if the rule was in the strictest, you know, most lawyerly or legalistic sense applied correctly, um, did it violate somehow the spirit of what the law was intended for? Well, um, I mean, one question I have, I was just, I was just thinking about this, um, was do, the people who write these rules, are they also the stewards? Like, do the stewards, you know, in the off season, are they the ones who have a hand in writing the rules? Uh, that's a great question. In the Formula One world, I, I don't believe so. And I only say that because they operate on a system of revolving stewards. Um, so there's not usually the same stewards there for you know more than a couple races a year 
I know in the IndyCar world, uh, our stewards did absolutely have a hand in the in the writing of the rules. Um, they they didn't do it alone. They had they had help and input from drivers and and other series officials, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they definitely were involved. Okay, so I mean, because that's that's you know, because in a way, if you're at, I mean, you know, in in the in the legal system, like in society, we don't generally like that to be the case, right? Um, we don't like the lawmakers to also be the judges. Right. We have right. A, we have a, a distinction there um, and partly for situations like this, because you don't maybe you don't want the people who write the rules to be able to say, oh, well, no, this is what I really meant by this rule. Right. But right. on the other side, you might say, who's to argue with the people who wrote the rules about what the intention behind it was? Um, so in a way, you might say, well, of course, it's if, if the stewards who had a had a hand in writing that rule say, yeah, that's 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 how we are. We meant to apply it. Um it's difficult to argue with that, right? Who's going to, who's going to question their intention? Um, if there's no kind of like supplementary document that says, and by this rule, we mean situations like this, this, and that, or something, um, which would just, would just be another rule. But I suppose, I suppose the, the, the bigger question is really how much discretion do you think stewards should have to interpret the rules? Right. I mean, a lot of the complaining seems to be that they have the discretion Right. To make a different call, to make a different interpretation um, of the of the words. Right. Which is an important function for judges and referees in, in, in any in any arena. Um, but do we want the stewards like you can imagine another situation where the stewards interpret the rule that's not to the letter, but they think is in the spirit and people get in arms up, uh, get up in arms about that. So is, is the problem just that the stewards have a choice at all? If the stewards didn't have a choice, didn't have any discretion then people will be like, oh, that's a, they would just focus on that's a, that's a bad rule. And I think, I think that's ultimately what's come out of this. And it's, it's funny you say that. And like, again, hearing you say it, uh, <laughs> makes me look at it slightly differently because you're right. There was a phase, um, you know, in, in IndyCar in my career where there, the word discretion actually became essentially a curse word in the paddock when when related to race control and decisions made by stewards because it seemed like for a very similar situation one week to the next, the result was different, the penalty was different, the outcome was different, the decision was different, and it all came up to discretion of the stewards. And that drove everybody absolutely insane. And it pushed us more towards a system of having very clearly, you know, written rules, black and white, and not really allowing the stewards that freedom. Um, for that very reason, I think it's I think it's very risky giving them too much control in that sense and too much flexibility. Uh, so I think ultimately it does just come down to an unfortunate situation where they now realize that the rule is not written the best way that it could be. So, but if that, and if that's the case, right, then the anger should be, you know, not directed even at the stewards. It should just be like, okay, well, we need to go in the off season and fix these rules. Cause I'm guessing you don't think the stewards should be able to rewrite the rules, reword them mid season. Like, I'm not sure. I mean, you might think that it's a case by case question. And this is a case where, well, we, we don't mind if they want to reword it now. Um, but you can imagine other things where, allowing them to rewrite the rules would effectively change, you know, could have changed the outcome of races that have already happened that season. So we don't probably want to give them that power. Right. So then people are just saying, okay, well, that's a bad rule. 
it's a fair decision and a bad rule, right? But that, I mean, that happens all the time. So maybe people's anger is just like misplaced or misdirected and, and uh, because they're just, they're angry at the wrong thing. The stewards did the right thing. They just had bad material to work with. I, th I think that's very much the case. And I think that that's, that's the case more often than people probably realize. And that's why it's more often than people realize being a steward is like a really awful, thankful position, thankless, sorry, position to be in because they're literally just doing their job and, and getting, you know, crapped on for it. You know, the, the big takeaway that I think everybody's ignoring is it was nice to see something finally go right for Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kid, it, you know, the kid deserved catch a break, it. Yeah. You know, it's been, it, it uh, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, yeah. too. More right? deserving... <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That guy, he's taken his lumps. He's paid his dues. I think it's time for him to shine. Okay. So then that, it, it leads nicely into the, into like a follow-up topic where the, the penalty applied, again, this is really more attacking whether you not, whether or not you think the rule is, is good, but the penalty applied was a five second, uh, time penalty added on to your race at the end of the, at the end of the event. So in this particular case, Vettel crosses the line first and ends up finishing second. That infuriates a lot of fans. Yeah. When the guy that crosses the line first doesn't win the race. Well, and the other thing is, did he do five seconds? Did he delay Hamilton's race by five seconds? And that's not how they do it. I, I know. It's but like I'm just a, saying, like, right. if, you're, if you're thinking about the, the, the fairness of the punishment, right. it, it seems like it doesn't fit the crime. Yeah, I mean, you could look at what Hamilton's previous lap time was and then what his lap time on that lap was look at what the delta was and then add that to sebastian's yeah. time if you want to be you know to the this is how much time it costs hamilton um but i guess i guess my question is should should the penalty have actually been harsher in the sense of saying all right you either have to swap positions or a drive-through or whatever just so that from the fans perspective the car that crosses the line first is the winner What's more important? Like, a, so a drive-through penalty in that situation would have just been asinine, right? Because it destroys it destroys Vettel's race, right, for a relatively small infraction. But what's more important, being fair to the drivers or giving the fans a quote unquote finish that's more sort of authentic? So this is a great. I'm really glad. I'm really glad you brought this up because um, I was worried that we were, you know, we had entered into furious agreements territory, and and there was nothing else to talk about, but. Uh, because again, we can't we can't get away from discretion, right? Because I don't know, like, could they have just is 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 it in the rule book that it's a five second penalty for that kind of yes. mistake? Okay, so they didn't have a choice with that penalty. No, but I, I'm saying, you know, th this is a penalty structure that's been in place for a while, and I, I don't think is going anywhere. The question is, should they be looking at that? You know, given this circumstance, should they be looking at altering that so that way this scenario of the guy that crossed the line first not winning the race doesn't happen in the future? Well, yeah, like she, an indie car, like if you go off track and gain a position, you just have to give the position back, right? Right. Uh, or, you, or you get a drive-through if you don't, but a lot of times it'll just come on through. Okay, give it back. Right. And then you have a chance to fight back for it, but, but you're saying that would be harsher than a five-second penalty, but it would keep up the appearance of fairness? or 
Yeah, I mean that that's I'm I don't really have a I don't really have a position on it. I'm kind of more curious about what we as a group and really what Chris thinks is more because I don't care what Thim thinks. No, um, I was just trying to clarify what we meant. Quiet, quiet, quiet. What what's more important? Something that's kind of a more fair penalty for the, the sake of the competition, or something that's less confusing and potentially outraging for fans. So so this is I mean in 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 my opinion my view. It seems like just letting, uh, ha- just swapping positions, right, and then racing, seems like it's the better penalty, like for all kinds of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like if, uh, uh, or ra- rather, ra- rather than you know, make make Lewis make Lewis take the the position back or something, rather than 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 having him uh, give it up at the end, uh, or sorry, make um yeah make Lewis fight for it, um. The, or sorry, make Vettel fight for the position back, right, right, right. rather than ra- rather than having him, because again, you don't. I mean, especially when when they were that close, right? I mean, there was no way it was no, nowhere near like a five second gap. I don't think between them. Well, so so, um, but see, that's going to be the counter argument, right? Is that you said you know you want Vettel to fight for it? Well, all he had to do was fight his way up to a five second gap, and I think he got up to like a two and a half second gap, and so he didn't drive fast enough to uh, negate the penalty. Um, would it have been any different if they just let Hamilton by? Would he have been able? Like, they, people could argue you're making him work for it one way or the other. But I just but think yeah, the perception, from the fans' perspective, right, the perception the, of the car that crosses the line first is the winner. I feel like that would make more sense. So okay, so I mean, because I, I happen to think that maybe where you want the discretion is not so much in the application of the rules. You should try to apply those as close to the letter as you can, just so that all the players understand going in, right? Sorry, I mean, you know my players, drivers. Um, they understand what's expected of them, right? But that the stewards should have some flexibility to recognize, you know, outlier cases and decide on a penalty that is appropriate right it's like it's like the debates you have in society generally about like mandatory minimums right it's like you get caught with this amount of drugs or something you do five years of prison no matter what the circumstances right right? there are laws and that's a huge debate right in in society but whether that should be allowed or not um so i think this is one of those cases where you might have um you might have uh uh, more satisfaction if the if the stewards can at least at least mitigate the consequences for someone violating a rule in unusual circumstances. But it but but this this leads into one of the the the, the questions that I, I want to put back at you guys and Tim you already brought it up which is should the stewards be allowed to think about things like what uh, what makes the sport better or more entertaining or what will the fans like? Is that something they should be even thinking about when making these decisions? No, I think it's something that should be thought about when the rules are written. I think okay. I think we've established that the steward should have to follow the 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 rules to the letter and leave discretion out of it once they're written. But for the sake of the sport, the rules I think have to reflect kind of what's best for the greater good. And if that's the fan base rather than the 22 drivers on track and their teams, I think that needs so, to be addressed. So, but you're, so you're not persuaded by my, by my position that, uh, uh, 
maybe they the stewards should have i keep wanting to call them judges uh whether the stewards um should have some discretion at least with respect to penalties if not the application of the rule itself so one of the things that we've done in indycar is there are um there are levels of penalty for a certain infraction and whether you get the the yellow or the red you know the less severe or more severe it has uh there are a few factors that um that decide that so you could have a system like that where there are there are different penalties for different severity of infraction uh or sorry different severity of you know of a certain infraction uh, but then again, it's, it's gotta be very clearly outlined what the conditions are that will give you the less severe penalty versus the more severe. See, I, I'm, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, I mean that, that again, the, you, you can, you can, you can try to make it as clear as you want, but there's always going to be a case where this kind of thing happens and you have to have a decision in the moment. Right. So it's like, as much as we want to expel discretion, right. You're always, I think you're all, that's, I mean, it, I mean, referees uh, and stewards and judges, you know, they do more, I think, than just decide whether or not the rule has been broken. They have to identify, right? They can't avoid identifying these situations that that were maybe just not thought of when the rules were made. And they can't just defer the decision until the off season and then say, well, we talked about it. And remember that race six months ago? Well, here's how it actually played out. They have to make the call. So we have to allow them some freedom to do that. Fair. Um, I I I want to disagree uh, uh, slightly. This this here here's 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 my my perhaps controversial position on this. I'm actually warming up to the idea that uh, that stewards should be allowed to take into account what will make the sport or an individual race sort of more entertaining. However, you want to think about that, um, even in their heat of the moment decisions. Because if it's a principle that you use when you're framing the rules to begin with, right, which yeah. is something that you've said that's that it should be sorted out, you know, in the off season when you're when you're revising the rule book, right? You want to think, okay, what's going to make this sport more exciting, more interesting? What's going to make it safer? These are all different considerations. If that's a consideration in the formation, I don't see why it shouldn't also be a principle you can use in the application. Well, but isn't that the same reason we separate judges from lawmakers? Like, you know, you have political considerations in Congress, but not you're not supposed to have them on the bench. Well, but is that a political or is that a principled consideration? Right? It's like um, uh, it's it's. I mean, I can I completely agree. Right? You don't want you don't want the. Uh, uh, the, the, the stewards to be subject to the whims of, of the populace, right? You don't want, just like we don't want judges um, in some countries anyway, to have to worry about whether or not they're going to get voted in um, next year or something like that. If they make a decision that people don't like, you don't want, you, you know, there's, there's, there is some, there's, there's lots of good uh, arguments for why we want judges protected from, from that. But if the, if, if the, if making the sport entertaining for fans is like a foundational principle that's guiding how you, because you could make the rules for these series any number of ways, right? Yeah, you I mean, can make them F1... to optimize for for speed or for technical prowess with right. the machinery. Like you could do all kinds of things that take elements out and put them in. Yeah. Um, 
Like Sorry, F1 could start doing uh, competition yellows and different <laughs> Well, no, but so I actually, I actually quite like that that's your position because uh, I obviously value and respect your, uh, your positions on these things. And what, what I'm happy about is that IndyCar actually does this very well. Um, yeah. In, in, it was actually last year at Iowa. Um, I was leading the race. There was a, a yellow with seven laps to go. There was a big debate on whether or not to pit or not pit. But by the rules at the time, you had to do the wave. You had to open the pits for the lead lap cars. You had to do the wave round and open the pits for the lap down cars, et cetera, et cetera. On a 17-second lap, uh, you know, on a seven-eighths of a mile oval, we ended up burning through the laps under safety car before we could get through that whole procedure. Yeah. As a result, and so the race ended under yellow. As a result of that situation, IndyCar the following week, so this goes to your mid, mid-season mid rule tweet, Chris, but uh, the following week they had a new rule in the rule book that was called abandonment of procedures. And it essentially gives IndyCar the right to throw out whatever the procedures are normally if it means we can get back to a green flag finish, which is deemed more important because that's what the fans want to see. So IndyCar's actually taken a step in the direction that you've said, Chris, uh, for the last year now, and uh, it's and we've seen it employed a, a couple different times. Well, I think the big takeaway too is uh, if anybody from that uh, FIA is listening, if you need to fix F one, the brothers Hinchcliffe, yes, uh, can come over. <laughs> Give us a call. <laughs> yeah, we'll just uh, Control C, Control V, IndyCar. And yeah, there you go. then you'll have an exciting <laughs> racing series. Call us. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, Chris, I want to thank you very much for coming on and for your insight, as always. Um, the thing is, I already have, a, I've got a slew of other philosophical questions, so we'll have to do part two another time. Uh, Fabulous. Yeah, and, we didn't uh, even talk about Ricardo and we didn't talk about Lamont, but we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we, will get, we will get there. But uh, as always, my friend, I appreciate, uh, appreciate your input. Thanks for your time. And, Pleasure was uh, all mine. Wonderful. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Tim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to at producer Tim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that, I mean thin. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.